Viva Las Vegas, the NFL's draft this Thursday. And this man's got it dialed in. The scouting assistant for Optimum Scouting in the East-West Shrine Bowl, our guy, Owen Reese. Good morning, Owen. What's up, you How's it going, man? Long time no talk, dude. What's happening? Yeah, How we been? Get, get me caught up. How's life? It's good, man. We're just kind of hoping, hoping and uh, praying for after this weekend. Uh, <laughs> hopefully having a new employment opportunity. But other than that, oh. chilling, enjoying the weather and, uh, well, trying to enjoy the weather and well yeah it's freaking cold dude i need to do like an anti-cold dance we, we, we need to get up to the 70s again okay all right honestly kind of fitting though it's football weather so. yeah it, it does feel like football weather so owen oh, i mean obviously a lot of people like christmas and they like their birthdays and then you know yada 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 it, draft starting on thursday what is is this like christmas on steroids for you what is the draft for you yeah, I mean, like, to me, this has always kind of been the culmination. This is the fun part uh, to kind of see where everything goes. Because everything before that's all speculation and it's all a bunch of talking heads and a bunch of hot air. But really, once the pen gets to paper here, this is when, when stuff becomes real and you can kind of really start to get uh, kind of dialed in on some of this stuff. All right, so, Owen, I want to ask you, uh, you know, positions of need for the Green Bay Packers, what you think, who they'll take, yada, yada, yada. Brian Gutekunst, the Packers GM, on the podium yesterday. Really good poker face for Goody. Handsome fellow, too. Uh, he was uh, not tipping his hand. Do you think – all right, a couple questions really quick here. Do the Packers, who have four picks in the first uh, – this is the most draft capital they've had in a, in a while – would they use some of those picks to either trade up to get someone they like, trade down, or maybe just stand pat with what they have? What do you think in your beautiful mind? Uh, speaking of Vegas, if I was a vet man, I would put that I, I, I would be shocked if they make all four picks, all four of those top 60 picks. I think that we've seen he has the propensity to move up and down uh, and be aggressive to go get who they want. They traded down and then back up for Jair Alexander. They traded down and then back up for Darnell Savage. Um, so, I mean, we've seen his ability to do that. He uh, Also, there were some rumors last night uh, that potentially uh, they could be interested in Darren Waller from the Las Vegas Raiders, which would be a very noteworthy uh, addition. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think if, if that were to happen, I think you probably end up giving up one of those top 60 picks just because I think Darren Waller is probably a top two or three tight end in the league right now um, and, and would be a legitimate, legitimate difference maker in this offense, which is now – uh, short of them with the loss of Devontae Adams and, and I think only having two for three receivers on the roster right now. Well, speaking of receivers, Owen, uh, there's this guy floating out there now who requested a trade officially. Debo Samuel wants out of the San Francisco 49ers. Uh, I know uh, what John Lynch, the GM for the Niners, said that they're keeping him. There's no way. But listen, uh, GMs lie through their teeth every time they're up on the podium. Is there a scenario where the Packers could spend some draft capital on getting uh, wide receivers such as Debo Samuel? Uh, I think that potential is out there. I wouldn't put too much stock in it. Uh, I think really the the root of the issue is that Debo Samuel doesn't want to play running back, uh, which is uh, ironic because partly that, that's kind of his trump card. That's what makes him special. Obviously, he was a 1,400-yard receiver last year as well, right? So you don't want to take that for granted. I mean, that alone, he's worth whatever he wants. But as far as his ability, you know, and we saw Kyle Shanahan last year in the playoffs would really kind of ride him and – we're going to get you the ball as many different as many times as we can, as many different ways as we can. And that's something that I think his agent and he, despite how he truly feels about it, are smart to try to leverage against because he's saying like, Hey man, like if you want to, if, if you want me to be a running back, like then like sign another running back, you know, like I'm not a running back and he's taking all these extra hits and all this extra pounding 
for a receiver whose whole game is catching the ball and running after the catch, I get why he's trying to limit those hits and that pounding a little bit. But uh, I don't think he ends up going anywhere. Uh, one of the, I, mean, I might be in the minority here, but every time we hear about situations like this, my thing is people always assume that the players have the leverage, and, and I get kind of why. But, like, they don't – I mean, they, they kind of don't either. You know, like the team – we saw it with the Texans, right? Like, mm-hmm. for a full year, Deshaun Watson, before the legal stuff, wanted to be traded, and they were just like, no. You know, it's, <laughs> it's, we, don't, we don't have to do anything. Um, you know, we've seen on Twitter guys like Antonio Brown and Le'Veon Bell kind of pushing their way out of Pittsburgh. And yeah. at times you'll see, like, the, the, the peanut gallery be like, yeah, you know, we're pro player. We should want what they want. But really, like, I'm not sure – I'm never quite sure how much leverage truly the, the players ever actually have. I and mean, we even saw Aaron Rodgers, maybe the, the player with maybe the most leverage in the entire league. Essentially, he got what he wanted, but had to throw a fit to get it. And, yeah. and really, and the, you know, the team ended up keeping him, right? So um, I don't think that Debo Samuel gets traded. Uh, I think what they'll probably do is they'll uh, – I, I, my guess is they probably put something in his contract where they limit the amount of touches, the, the amount of times he's allowed to line up at running back without some type of like pay provision or something. Mm-hmm. And then that's, that's what satisfies what they want. They want more money and the 49ers want to use them more, but they don't want to, gotcha. he doesn't yeah. want to be used the way he doesn't want to be used. Yeah. Let's satisfy some Packer fans here. Uh, Owen, uh, follow Owen on Twitter at Reese draft, R I E S E draft. He is the scouting assistant for optimum scouting in the East West Shrine bowl. So Owen uh, Packers have not drafted a wide receiver with in the first round, uh, Javon Walker in 2002. Do the Packers, Go wide receiver with their first pick, and if so, who do you like that could potentially be on the board? Uh, I think it's probably more likely that they end up taking a receiver with that second pick if mm. they do take one. As we've seen, the Packers are not huge. At one, they've been huge benefactors of the amount of talent uh, on day two at the receiver position. Devontae Adams, uh, Jordy Nelson, Randall Cobb, right, were all second-round picks. So I can see as an organization why as though they would think that, well, like, I don't know why we would need to stretch for that. I think in the scenario that they do take one at 22 or if they were to package those picks, to me it comes down to two guys that they would move for, I think, early. One would be Jamison Williams, the receiver from Alabama, who uh, has a torn ACL right now, but from all accounts would be, the, would be and maybe still is the top receiver in this class um, if he was healthy. Uh, is a pure speed threat. And truthfully, I heard someone say this the other day. Uh, he's the only guy that made Georgia's defense look human <laughs> at any point this year. So I think there's something to that as well, that uh, the only guy that was able to make this freak show defense uh, struggle or, or look pedestrian at times. Um, I think he or Chris Olave, the receiver from Ohio State, That's I think those are the wants. two that they're really dialed in on. And I think that those are the two that if they would have to take one with that first pick, those would be the guys that make sense to me. Uh, so, Owen, oh, let me ask you, you're in the mind of Brian Gutekunst then, and you said you'd think they used that, what, that 59th, or, or I'm sorry, the 50, the whatever pick they have in the 50s for the wide receiver. Uh, the first pick that they have, what do you think they do then? I think that's going to be a big body guy. I think that um, we've seen it. They had Zadarius and Preston Smith, and they still drafted Rashawn Gary. Now Zadarius Smith is gone. I think with the way the Packers want to play, uh, with, with a lot of the too high defense and a lighter box, right, to try theoretically stopping the run by um, – or inviting the run by stopping the pass, mm-hmm. they need big bodies in the box, right, because they're going to have less of them. 
So to me, that makes sense. They want to keep adding those, well, one, pass rushers, because you can never have too many pass rushers. But two, those big bodies. I think a guy like George Karloftis out of Purdue makes a ton of sense at 22. I think he's a guy that's sort of being lost in the shuffle of this group. Uh, we've, you know, with Kayvon Thibodeau and Aiden Hutchinson and Jermaine Johnson up top, I think those are guys that will draw a lot of the attention. And Karloftis, who's really done nothing wrong, um, you know, other than, than kind of get lost in the shuffle here a bit, I think he's a guy that fits their type. He's about 6'4", 275. So he's a big body guy. He's very athletic. Um, so I think he's a guy that they could they really kind of zone in on there. At 22, another one um, could be a right tackle, depending on who's there. I think that that's probably their biggest well, – I mean, like, wide receiver is the biggest need as far as numbers go. But I think right tackle is a position that maybe could be upgraded the most. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's something where – um, right now they're depending on Yosh Nyman, who was the swing tackle last year. They're kind of depending on him to work his way into that. But outside of that, um, until either Elton Jenkins comes back and if they move him to right tackle, that's kind of all they got on the roster right now. Um, so to me, this will be a guy that um, will be overdrafted, admittedly, because of his height, like height, weight, speed, and just sheer potential. But Daniel Falele is a guy from Minnesota who's 6'8 and 375 pounds Oof. who has only played football for like five years. Uh, he went to IMG in Florida, uh, came, came to IMG as a junior in high school, played on the team but didn't play in games because he was simply learning the sport. How big is and he? 6'8, 375 pounds. <laughs> Can't teach that. Jeez. And, and moves very well. I think that's the biggest thing. He doesn't carry a ton of bad weight. He's not a big, soft, fat-bodied guy, right? And moves very well for that size. And so he'll get drafted higher than he should. He's not the top 22 player in this draft, but the sheer potential of a man that size who can move like he does, if he were to hit, that's your home run swing. And I think we have seen the Packers do that, right, with Rashawn Gary, with Jair Alexander, some of these bigger, not that they were projects, but high-athlete, high-upside guys and at a big position and need like that, I wouldn't expect him to start as a rookie, but the sheer potential of a guy that size um, could, I mean, it's one of those picks where he could end up being the top player in the draft if he pans out the way that he could, um, you know, given his size and potential. So that's a guy that I think the Packers have to be drooling over um, at a position where they've kind of band-aided that spot a bit. We've seen Jared Bell here the last couple of years. Past year they traded for Dennis Kelly. Right, Billy Turner kind of bumped around. That's a guy I could see uh, kind of satisfying that need and being a uh, really kind of that swing for the fences, given yeah. that you've got another first-round pick. Yeah, Rowdy was uh, describing some guys yesterday as mountain men, right, Rowdy? That guy sounds like a mountain man. Yeah, we were talking about defensive tackles and some <laughs> sure. of the, the yeah. big ones that are out there this year. Uh, oh, and other needs that the Packers have that maybe are flying under the radar because people are so caught up in the wide receiver drama, right? Uh, anything else that you're kind of viewing in for the Green Bay Packers, position of needs and guys in the draft that uh, you've been you know, researching and studying, like this guy could be a good fit? Uh, I think guys along the defensive line uh, that you guys mentioned, we were talking about yesterday, I think that would be, that's something that's probably a bit of an underrated need, right? They cut right before the playoffs last year. They waived Kingsley Kiki. Uh, and I think that there's always the potential. They, they don't, uh, over the past few years, the Packers have only carried like four guys on their roster over 400 pounds on the defensive side of the ball. It, it's been pretty light. Um, and for a defense that's going to be so uh 
numbers light in the box, right? They want to play with that five-man box and kind of incentivize teams to try to run it instead of throwing it. The They need more big dudes is probably the best way to put it. You want to be able to move Kenny Clark around. Uh, I think that's a spot that, that needs to be addressed. Um, a guy that could be one of those sneak picks, right? Say they go receiver at 22. A guy, uh, his name is Travis Jones. He's a defensive lineman from UConn. That's a guy that is 335, 340 pounds, moves very well, uh, and he's a guy that he could play. He's a guy that if you play him at nose tackle, you can move Kenny Clark around the front, right? And even that's, that's not quite his natural spot, but better than Dean Lowry, or he'll be better than, than TJ Slayton, right? There's a lot of, there's a lot of, a lot of, you know, not to be disrespectful, but a lot of guys, right? <laughs> kind of Jags, just guys yeah. um, along the Packers' defensive front. And a guy like Travis Jones to be able to help Kenny Clark bump around would do a, a ton. The other spot I really see, and I don't see this as like a dire need, but it's something that would help the Packers be much more flexible, which they want to be, is a third safety, right? We saw that, um, you know, they played Chandon Sullivan at the nickel spot. They played Henry Black a ton at that dime linebacker spot, which is not good for anybody. Uh, so the another this could be these as far as names, right, like kind of the, the chess pieces, how they fit with this kid named Lewis Seen, the safety out of Georgia. I don't know if he even gets to 22, uh, but he's a guy that if he does, the Packers would have to heavily consider. Uh, he's very – he does – Kyle Hamilton, the Notre Dame kid, gets all the pub. Yeah. But Lewis Seen does everything that Kyle Hamilton does. He's just not 6'4 and 220 pounds, <laughs> right? He ran in the four threes. He doesn't miss tackles. He's, he played on that Georgia defense. He's hyper-physical. Uh, he's a good tackler, able to fit the run from playing deep safety. He's a guy, I think, that does everything that the Packers want out of a safety, and then you allow Darnell Savage to play in the nickel when you're in these two high safeties. You also allow uh, a guy like Adrian Amos could even drop down and play that dime linebacker spot if you wanted to keep Savage back. So I think he would provide a lot of flexibility at the safety spot. Uh, another name to keep in mind for the Packers, maybe in the second round if he drops that far or if they were to trade down, uh, is someone that Badger fans, unfortunately, are fairly familiar with is Jaquan Brisker from Penn State. Uh, I think he, he's, he's not the player that Cena is, but he's that same style of player, and he's, he's very athletic, flies around, uh, very opportunistic around the ball, and he's a guy that could, that could see the Packers kind of uh, wanting to prioritize given the opportunity at that safety spot. So Love those it. are kind of the four, the, the, four, the four spots for me. It's receiver is pretty obvious, mm-hmm. right tackle, D-line, and safety. I think those are the four that are probably the most likely uh, to be seen early in the draft. Uh, until they until they trade for Darren Waller, tight end, also kind of a sneaky spot. Um, Are you calling it right now? Are you calling it right now, Owen? Packers trading for Darren Waller? You calling it? I think I think if they want to, they can get it done. They've got the ammo. They, if they traded one of those top pick, top sixty picks, they've still got three top sixty picks. They've got the ammo to go get it done if they want to. Love it, and Owen, love your stuff. If people want to get a hold of everything you do, how can they do so, my friend? Uh, yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at Reese Draft. It's R I E S E Draft. Uh, have had over the past week and a half or two weeks or so a lot of uh, scouting reports for Badger players entering the draft. Uh, not only current Badgers, but also a couple former ones and Madison Cohn and Jack Cohn. Uh, so a couple guys that could be drafted. Um, at least Jack Cohn uh, should be drafted this weekend. Uh, that's at Bucky's fifth quarter. Um, otherwise, I'll be on Twitter. Uh, 
getting takes off and uh, enjoying Hell the draft, yeah. man. It's the best time of the year. Oh, and can't wait to see you this weekend. Personally, you and I are going to crush some uh, beers, delete some beers together, and you can bone Absolutely. me up on some more draft. And how about this? Once the draft, the dust is settled, you come back on next week. We talk about it again, my friend. Perfect, man. Sounds good. And, Shout out Mike Thorson. Oh, hell yeah. And this song's for you, buddy. A little Clay Aiken. Invisible, all right? Absolutely. Appreciate it, buddy. Love you, talking to you. Much love, Owen. See you, buddy. But yesterday, man, were my sweatpants getting tight when I heard Grant Bills and Ben Kenny on the Bill Michael Show yesterday. Good morning, Grant Bills of the Wisco Sports Show. Good morning, Evo. I appreciate that you don't wear sweatpants. Uh, <laughs> in radio, we could kind of wear whatever we want, but I'm glad that you uphold yourself to a certain image. I try to do the same. Sometimes I'll wear sweatpants on Friday, but, you know, n- nice sweatpants, athletic sweatpants. <laughs> Um, good, nice. good for you. That uh, makes me happy to hear. Nice sweatpants. Isn't that kind of like an oxymoron? You know, dress uh, sweatpants. Dress sweatpants? Like, <laughs> I think what he's saying, it's the sweatpants that like supposedly look like jeans. Like, you know, like, you had, like, yeah. like, jeans? like those fake jean ones. Like the jean ones? ones? Jet pants. Uh, those <laughs> no, not, not like, no, no, no. Like, like not Lululemon, because I would never spend that much, but like very slimming kind of athletic trainer. Oh, the, okay, gotcha. Yeah, the joggers. sport, the sport jogger ones. Yeah. Nice joggers. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. My, my exactly. other pet peeve at work, I don't ever wear sweatpants, to be honest with you, but my other pet peeve at work is when people wear sandals. Like when dudes wear yeah. sandals. And Grant, I feel like you're a sandal sock kind of guy, but I think it's I think it's more inappropriate when you see the guy rocking the sandals without socks. I mean, both are questionable, <laughs> but the, the out socks, I'm like, what's going on here? Zach Halpern this does that. Weather what's going on is, it, this weather is peak weather for um, wearing wool socks with my hiking sandals. Oh. It's a very comfortable. Again, it sounds uh, like an oxymoron. Hiking sandals. Yeah, like Chacos or Tevas or you. Do you are well, you, are you I, into fashion at all? Evo? Well, when I hike, I wear I have these I have these hiking boots because I'm like hiking and I'm like on rocks and and like you know terrain that's not sandal wearing terrain. You know what I'm saying? Like I hike. Yeah. yeah, yeah. See, see, this is a different. It's not a leisurely me. walk when for I like me. To go I hike. Hiking, when I like to go hiking, I like my toes out in the fresh air. I like to be able to breathe a little bit, and I'm constantly uh, as a fly fisherman, I'm constantly wading. And uh, uh, walking yes, through the water, yes, so I, I yes. like to be able to drip dry my toes. Okay, I got gotcha, you. I got gotcha. you. Okay. <laughs> uh, Grant Bills, um, I'm trying to think of a transition here, but I'm just going to reset. Wednesday it's tomorrow, six thirty nice. tip. Are the Bucks going to be tiptoeing around? Are they? Gonna, are the Bucks going to have? I'm sorry, are the Bulls going to have sweatpants on around nine o'clock <laughs> at night <laughs> because they're done with their season? Do you think the Bucks wrap it up at the Pfizer tomorrow night? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, to make it a very short. Will Grayson Allen get it going again (laughs) for a third time? And how much does Grant Bills of the Wisco Sports Show love Grayson Allen? I'm a big Grayson Allen fan because he's playing well for my team. If a guy plays well for my team, I'm going to become a big fan. You know, Chris Taylor robbed the Brewers in 2018. (laughs) If he were to come play for the Brewers, he would leave the Dodgers, come play for us. I'd love him right away. That's how it works. He's on my team. I don't think Grayson Allen will hoop like this throughout the entire playoffs. I think... Pat Connaughton will have a series or two. Uh, Bobby Portis has just been great throughout. He's become a regular contributor for them. But this series, Grayson's been a big help kind of getting them off the ground, especially without Chris Middleton. And just something about him. He says in his press conference, he doesn't like playing the villain. You know, it doesn't really feel right for him. But I, it's not what the evidence would indicate, Evo. He seems to, to thrive 
in those circumstances. And that was obvious this weekend. Uh, speaking of thriving, now, Grant, I saved this question for you, and I can already know what's going to happen. I can already hear the eye roll happening. But it was something okay. something that was was brought up because when Chris Middleton was healthy with the Bucks, they were very struggling to get by the Bulls. Chris Middleton obviously not playing. He's got the sprained MCL. And we've seen a bunch of other guys step up in his absence, like a Bobby Porter, so Grayson Allen, and maybe a Pat Connaughton coming up. Are you ready for this, Grant? Are the Bucks a better team without Chris Middleton? Uh, no. <laughs> I saw you taking down at Milwaukee similar, Station for saying that. Yeah, it would be very similar. Make a promo out of that, by the way. That was really good radio. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. I, it'd be very similar to asking if the Packers are better without Devontae Adams, right? Like, they can put together a good game plan, and they got good role players here and there, but you're going to see really quickly against Boston, who disposed of Brooklyn like a dirty Kleenex last night. Um, they're going to need Middleton shot making. They're going to need his versatile defense, or his versatile defense, too. Because he has, he's a little bit bigger than Grayson Allen. He's 6'7". He can move around and cover some different guys. So they're going to need him back. I, I, maybe losing Chris Middleton was a little bit of a wake-up call. The same way that the Packers losing Adams for a game is, is kind of motivation and reason to put together an extra special game plan uh, and be a little extra buttoned up. Maybe there's some parallels there. But no, they're not, uh, they're not better than Chris Middleton. How nervous are you for the Boston Celtics who just dispatched the Brooklyn Nets, swept the Brooklyn Nets? Four to nothing. Uh, Celtics, big problem for the Bucks upcoming, assuming that they beat the Bulls in this series? Yeah. I mean, the Celtics are really good. Then I, I love what we're doing with the Nets the last 24 hours because I, I – mean, maybe this is the me thing and what we talked about on my show. But for the last two months, I've been like, the Nets aren't any good. They stink. <laughs> like, they're not – that's why they're the seventh seed. They suck. And everyone's like, oh, no, you, you don't want to see the – Oh, the just Nets. wait for you the playoff Nets. The, Nets. the playoff Kevin Durant. Yeah, playoff yeah, Kyrie. Yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't want to see those guys. Kevin Durant, Kyrie, they can get buckets any time, and they're the best closers. I'm like, okay, whatever. And then the Celtics match up with them, and all of a sudden now Celtics fans are like, no, we're, we're not scared of the Nets. We'll take on the challenge. And then last night they're like, we, obviously we were never scared of the Nets. They, they were terrible all along. It's like, okay, whatever, you guys, you can keep doing your thing. But the Celtics are outstanding, and they don't have a weak link defensively. You see with the Bulls, they're hunting DeMar DeRozan. They're hunting down Booch. I mean, hunt Levine, hunt anyone in their starting five because no one can defend other than Caruso. Celtics don't have a guy in their starting lineup or their top six or seven that can't defend. Uh, and that's going to be tough. I almost like that the Bucks are going to be starting this series on the road, assuming they advance to Boston, which they will, because they're bad in game ones, and they're probably going to be without Middleton. Well, they're going to be without Chris Middleton at the beginning of the series at the very least. So you might as well go on the road, maybe take an L or two, and learn some things before trying to bring the series back to Milwaukee and really – trying to take control, but Boston's really good, man. Boston is a really okay, good team. In their I, I agree. Right like Celtics are good, but the Nets are just bad. Like, yeah. And look at all, and I mean, Rowdy was talking about this earlier. Look at all the series. We all thought like 76 was going to run away with it, or the Suns were going to run away with it. And now they're, you know, kind of serious. And the Celt, the Nets, they just stink. Which is, which is fun, by the way. I love that the Sixers thinkers are tightening and Toronto's making this a series. Toronto, I'm watching this game last night. And I'm thinking, man, if Scotty Barnes and Gary Trent are healthy this entire series, I don't think the Sixers win this series. They look terrible, and Doc Rivers is blowing it again. I don't know what Phoenix's deal is. They need a commanding win in Game 5 now that this is tied to 2 Yeah, the, the momentum is turned in all of these series. Evo, the one thing that makes me feel good about the Bucks, even though I think the Celtics are the better team right now, Boston's clicking on all cylinders. They feel good. They seem like everything's right in their world. And that just normally doesn't happen for an entire postseason, yeah. right? Things don't click and go your way an entire postseason. There's going to be adversity, and the Bucks know that, right? Because the Bucks made it through three rounds and then won the NBA Finals last year. So they understand there's lots of ups and downs. 
ebbs and flows. And I guess my hope as a Bucks fan is that the Bucks are settling in and getting ready for a war. And the Celtics, in their mind, war. they're going to keep cruising. And I, that's just not the reality. So that's my hope. Grant, that's war, what is it good for, my friend? <laughs> Absolutely <laughs> nothing. Unless you're the Bucks going to the TD Garden, my friend. <laughs> yes, Rowdy? Yeah, Dave from Monona message in during that uh, segment here, Grant. He wants to know what the hell Lululemon pants are. <laughs> well, Grant doesn't have Lulu? them, so he wouldn't know. Yeah, he doesn't. Yeah, I don't. Lululemon's too expensive for me. But that is, you can tell Dave from Monona, and if he wants to call tonight, we can talk style. That is the top line of athlete slash like athlete leisure. Very, very nice. Very I would not pay $200, $200 for a men's leggings, essentially. That's a no for me, Yeah, dog. yeah, yeah. Oh, great. Yeah, uh, it's real, it's real quick, hundreds though, of dollars for sweatpants. My wife uh, actually had these like bigger Lululemon pants. They had like fleece in, inside of it, and I was oh. going ice fishing. I was going ice fishing, and I didn't really have too much warm clothes. I kid you not. I slipped those babies on my ass, oh, yeah. my ass, in those Lululemon pants. Whoa, buddy! Was it popping? It was, it was popping. It was popping, baby. I woo. <laughs> I had an onion ass, oh, Grant Bills. You know what an onion ass is? Uh, no. Explain. Take the pants off, you make someone cry. It looks so good. Hey, and that'd be the first time that everyone said that Ebo finally wore the pants in the family. <laughs> that's, the, that's the day for Monona joke. Well done. Grant, well we love done. you, buddy. Uh, good job on the Bill Michael show yesterday. It was uh, awesome to hear you and Ben Kenny uh, get after it. And we can't wait for Florida. Ooh, wait. What time are you done today, tonight? I think 5.30. Oh, okay. So we'll get almost today. a full Let's Go Sports show. Yeah, last night was a half hour. I felt like a joke. I, I, felt, like, <laughs> I felt like some news update boy sitting behind the desk <laughs> reading scores for 20 minutes. Well, Grant, that's why you got some extra time here. We love you, man. And yeah, have the- a good one. Brian Gutekunst on the podium yesterday. Keeping the uh, cards close to the vest, if you will, for Goody. Uh, the main question, though, he was asked, and this is something we got to get to, too, because uh, I don't know if you saw this. Uh, no, I know you did. Darren Waller was actually uh, being targeted by the Green Bay Packers in the Devontae Adams trade, the tight end for the Las Vegas Raiders. That'd be huge. So we'll get to that momentarily. But first, Brian Gutekunst was asked about the draft process. And one of the first things he was asked is Aaron Rodgers involved. What's his role in the draft process? Do you think Brian Gutekunst, before I play the clip, Rowdy, do you think Brian Gutekunst is sick? and tired of hearing about what Aaron Rodgers' role is? Or did he open up Pandora's box and it's his own undoing? say a little bit of both, but I'll lean on uh, the side of Gutekunst on this one and say he's probably just getting tired of the questions. Yeah, Because it's been, what, it's been now a full year since all of the drama, pretty much. Because remember, it came out close to this time. It wasn't at the day of the draft. It's been almost a full year. And I think you can say that from where we sat a year ago today with the relationship between Brian Gutekunst and Aaron Rodgers, it is in a much better spot today than it was a year ago today. And you've seen that not only with the fact that they said, hey, Aaron, what do you think about some of these guys? Brian Gutekunst extended the olive branch and said, here's Randall Cobb. I know he's your buddy. Here's Cobby. Or... What about the fact that uh, 
him and Aaron Rodgers talking at practices, talking at the uh, chumming it up, yeah, preseason practices before the season even started. And Aaron Rodgers has notably said that the relationship has gotten better. They've asked him about his input and done some of the things that he says. Yes. And once you have a guy like Tom Brady who has been able to, well, in New England, win all the Super Bowls with Bill Belichick. And then he he breaks it off with Bill Belichick and says, I'm going to Tampa because they have a lot of cap space at the time and they have a lot of talent. And he gets to go and say, hey, I'm going to bring Gronk. Hey, how about we go and do this and we grab some other uh, good defensive line players? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, oh yeah. And and he was kind of sitting there doing this in the background. And then there you have the rumors with Tom Brady saying that, you know, him and uh Bruce Arians, that that relationship is kind of on the rocks. You know, he kind of wants a new scene or he's going to retire. Yep. And then you have the Miami Dolphin news about him being on the yacht or him being in play with being retired the and then trying to yeah, slink him into Miami. Sean Payton becomes the head coach. He's only that, that doing man. that to put himself in better situations where he's with the certain type of players and or friends like the Gronks of the world that he thinks he can win with. Yeah. If you have the guy that is seen and is talked about as the goat of Tom Brady, and then you have Aaron Rodgers, who is who is talked about as the guy that the is best thrower of a football. Yeah, like physically might be the best quarterback, like you said, best thrower of the football of all time. But other people like Devontae Adams has called him the goat. Now, I don't. I don't get on board with that, <laughs> but uh, he's definitely one of, of those guys that had, you know, just retired in the last few years and, or is still currently playing at the end of the career. In my opinion, he's the second best behind Brady. Yeah. Uh, well, like, but he's going to get that same type of pull because as he should, because, to a degree. because Brady and some of these other guys, were given that same. So why wouldn't he ask for that same type of pull? Yeah, so uh, Brian Gutekunst asked uh, on the pull and the role of Aaron Rodgers in the draft process. Take a listen. Pretty constant communication with, with Aaron. Um, this is his downtime. So, you know, he, uh, I don't know he enjoys that, but yeah, again, the specifics with what we talk about, I won't get into, but um, it's uh, obviously carried over from what we've been doing for the last year and a half or so. Does UW lacrosse, and maybe this happens for every college that GMs go to, but Rowdy, since you went to UW Lacrosse, Brian Gutekunst went to UW Lacrosse, does UL does UWL have a master class in the art of saying nothing? <laughs> so did you see that <laughs> did you see that article that I sent to you and RJ? Yeah, tell the folks what it was. <laughs> it was an article for but written by someone at the University of Wisconsin Lacrosse on Brian Gutekunst and basically it, from his time beginning at lacrosse till today yeah, and just kind of how it's been little known fact that I actually didn't know until reading that Brian Gutekunst graduated a year before me. <laughs> what? Yeah. What did he take some years off or something? No. So, so how old is he? Obviously He's he 48 was, years old graduated a year before me. You're 27. Yeah. Well, here's Did the back- he fail for like a decade and a half? Here's the backstory. Okay. So his dad through back channels knew Roger Herring, who's like the lacrosse football legend. They named the stadium after him, whatever. Sure. And Brian was good enough to play college football, but not, not like D1. Yeah, didn't he get hurt then? Yeah, and he yeah. had injuries. So asked if he, you know, if he could get on with the UW lacrosse. They did. Came up with a bunch of injuries. They said, hey, I think you're better off 
you know, kind of helping coach and, and scouting potential players we'd like to bring in. He thought about it, said, hey, yeah, sure, let's do it. And then kind of the rest is history. So he becomes like this this guy, former player that is now kind of scouting for potential high school players mm-hmm. and or transfers that they'd like to get in yeah. and helping coach at the same time while he was going through school. Uh-huh. And at at the end of most lacrosse majors, you have like either a capstone or a final project yeah, yeah. and you have to have certain require, requ- required classes to be able to graduate. Sure, well, in his last semester, he ended up through Roger Herring, the old coach, got an internship with the Packers, and that was his quote-unquote capstone project. Well, he never officially finished it because they liked that what he was doing, so and they're like, job. we're going to hire yeah. you. So he never went back and officially got his degree until literally the year, year before, you <laughs> before graduated. I graduated. They said, and it was, uh, I guess he went back. It's like, hey, I want to get my degree. It means something to my mom and my family sure. and blah, blah, blah. Because he was already in NFL circles. He was already in an exclusive spot in the, yeah. the Packers. He just uh, wanted to get his degree for his mother. But yeah, so he graduated in the fall of 2016. For mommy dearest. <laughs> uh, there's something about GMs, especially ours, Brian Gutekunst. That's funny, dude. They they get up in that podium and those lips and gums start flapping, but they say absolutely nothing while saying a lot of words, a word salad. So maybe his other capstone course route, he was not only working with the Packers, but the art of saying nothing. So according to that article, they told him, oh, you just have to, you know, like show like your your work logs and your yeah. it was like some of the stuff that you do like on a daily basis and put it in put it into like a some type of like a log and project and basically like we know you do all this for the packers yeah, yeah just, I'm a fan actually just just show yeah just show us that you do this for a semester and here it's we'll like, give you the here's what the professor said hey uh could you get an autograph of aaron Rodgers, please uh i'll give you a passing grade and if i could have finished if i could have uh finished up and got done a, year, a signed jersey like a year early Man, that would have been hilarious if I would have walked on the same stage with Frank. <laughs> Could I get a football with Bart Starr, Brett Favre, and Aaron Rodgers all signing it? I'll give you an A. Thanks. Uh, Brian Gutekunst has asked uh, about the potential of trading up. They have a lot of draft capital. Could he trade up? Let's see what the master class is saying. Nothing says. You know, having, having more picks kind of in the top three rounds than we've had in a while, I think it, it's there's probably temptations on both sides to, to move around a little bit or just to sit and pick as well. So. Um, we'll kind of see what's available, and I think a lot of it's just going to be how the how the draft falls. But it is the, some of the conversations this week are just trying to kind of set things up to see what what availability we have to move up or down. All right. Um, see, all right. This is the thing that I actually really do like about Brian Gutekunst and what he has done since becoming the Packers general manager. He has signed guys in the off season at certain positions, whether it was like a Jimmy Graham or now we're talking like a, a Jaron Reed or we're talking like a Sammy Watkins where he knows that they have needs, Man's but, he's, got needs right? but, but he's also going out and signing some vets that also play those same type of positions where they might have needs and or guys that might be moving on not this year, but the following year where they might need a player to step in a year before Ted Thompson did a little bit of that as well. But what I like about uh Goody is the fact that He'll go out and get a player at this position in free agency. He'll get a player at this position so that when draft comes and he's sitting there in the first round, he's like, well, I can go receiver, but I still sign Sammy Watkins. So I still grab somewhat of a veteran. Mm-hmm. I could go offensive line, but I still have a pretty good offensive line. I could go with 
uh, you know, a def- defensive tackle or an edge rusher, but I still have Rashawn Gary and I still you have Jaron Reed. Too. Yeah, I just signed Jaron Reed. I still have uh, Kenny Clark and Dean Lowry. Like he's giving himself the opportunity with not have like he's somewhat patching holes, though he needs to do a complete yeah, yeah. remodeling. But he's like, I can patch the holes for now. If the board falls to me, this is where I'm going to work sure. on this part of my house. Yeah. Uh, how about this? And that makes sense. And that totally makes sense. So Brian Gutekunst uh, obviously comes from the Ted Thompson tree. RIP Ted. Great war room in the sky. Uh, he talks about how he'd like to be more patient like Ted Thompson, but also not hesitate to move up if they got a guy they like. Yeah, I'd like to be a little more patient like he was. But at the same time, if you know, people remember when he went and got Clay, you know, I mean, he, he certainly would have his players that he would see and he would go get them if he if he wanted to so but you got to be careful falling in love with players right um because then you start chasing things and and getting out of whack value wise and and stuff but so you'd love for it to come to you but at the same time you have to be realistic about where you're picking and where the strength of the draft is and if it if it makes sense to move to a particular area to help your football team. I think you have to be willing to do that. You guess I'm going to tip so, your tongue. Yeah, we need to, we need to go back and look at past, past drafts and past memories here, the good and the bad. Remember Ted Thompson's very last draft. I think we all remember it. It's where he traded down, drafted Kevin King, passed on TJ Watt. Yep. And also parlay that with Vince Beagle. Yeah. Well, that was when Ted Thompson was patient. The need was corner because the need had seemed like it's, been corner for like a decade and he got his corner traded back. Well then passed on TJ Watt. Who's arguably the best, one of the best pass rushers in the game right now. But I think they already made his Boston Canton. The first year of Brian Gutekunst. Remember he came out there. He signed like the, I believe it was the Billy Turner and the, he made the trade for, um, um, the Sean Kaiser signed. I think it was Billy Turner and it was, um, Jimmy Graham, like he made some moves early that were like, oh, okay, we'll see. We'll see where he's, we're at. He's wheeling but a dealer. Do you, do you remember it got to draft day and all of a sudden the Packers traded back yep. again. And everyone's like, I thought this guy was different. Yep. I know he went out and signed a few free agents, like Ted. but I thought he'd go up and, you know, maybe trade up in the draft. And, but he traded back. Cause remember that was also when a lot of people, myself included, really thought that Josh Jackson could be pretty good. I don't know how this came to be, but it was a yikes. And he was like that late first round corner coming Mm -hmm. out of Iowa. We saw him at Iowa. A lot of people were pretty high on him. He trades back, ends up taking Jair Alexander, and then still gets Josh Jackson in the second round. Jair Alexander becomes the all pro. Josh Jackson sucks. Well, that's just rude. But he ended up he ended up getting a great corner. He yeah, still got a, a corner man. that a lot of people coveted, and he traded back to do it. But at the same time, before you knew what Jair Alexander was going to do, you're like, here we go. Yep. He just traded back again. This is a this is a Thompson guy. <laughs> yep. I thought I thought I saw a sliver. Of, different. Thought I saw a sliver of hope once he signed Jimmy Graham. Have you heard Brian Gutekunst say this though? In a perfect world, you'd, you'd you'd be able to draft and develop and keep your own players. No. So he's not okay. quite like Ted. Uh, to be completely honest, you look at Ted Thompson's drafts. Yeah, he nailed some receivers in the second round. He was great at getting offensive linemen later in the draft. But you look at what Goody has done so far, you could argue he drafted the best offensive lineman 
or at, at least best versatile offensive lineman yeah. than Elton Jenkins when yeah. he's healthy. Yeah. The line, he also, let's not forget, he drafted John Runyon late. He drafted um, Royce Newman late. Like, those were all middle to late round picks. So he has also been able to draft uh, linemen pretty well. Now, the, the one, only thing he hasn't done is wide receiver. Good. Well, and that's the thing. But he really hasn't done it outside of the MVS is his best and the one. Jamon Moore and the St. Brown draft. Terrible. They haven't hardly ever went after receivers. Amari Rogers. Yeah. He was in there for one year. Doesn't look great Jury's now, out. but still the guy's still got some years left on that contract. It was his first year, but I'm saying the one real difference here because of how good he's been in free agency that has been able to neutralize some of the, the, the picks mm-hmm. Ted Thompson a lot of his success that he lived off of outside of the offensive line and those second round receivers, it's one guy. Its name is Aaron Rodgers. A heck of a football man. If he never drafts Aaron Rodgers, what's this team for that decade? Not, nothing. Like, yeah, they might have Devontae Adams. They might have Jordy Nelson. Who the hell's throwing on the football? Brian Brom, he didn't turn out. And I say this over and over. If they, if Ted Thompson knew what he had in Aaron Rodgers when he fell to him, he never would have drafted Brian Brom shortly after. All right, there's some draft. Rowdy, you want to tackle at 9 o'clock the secondary? Yeah, we can look at secondary. All but right. I stand by that. If he, did, if he really thought Rodgers was that good when he first drafted him, he never would have taken any of those quarterbacks after. Well, Rodgers' first year was... Not the greatest. I That's mean, what I'm saying. And But it fell into his lap, and then everything else was set up around it. Rowdy, Jackie Bradley Jr. would be the second or third, I keep forgetting, second or third most productive hitter on this team right now? Second? Yeah, it just depends on where Tyrone well, Taylor's at. And, well, man, that's just crazy. Remember how we wanted to get rid of him so bad? And did. And we were like, oh my God, I can't believe David Stearns found a way he to He would do it. narrowly be the third best outfielder batting average wise. <laughs> Looking at that outfield, man, is pretty abysmal. But if you think about that, if you're if you still had Jackie Bradley Jr. and all the current outfielders on their team, your top three hitting outfielders would be Hunter Renfro, Tyron Taylor, and Jackie Bradley Jr. And by far defensively, those Jackie Bradley Jr. would be your number one. Lorenzo Kane would be number two. Taylor would be number three. Mm-hmm. And Renfro has the big arm. Like Christian Yelich is by far their worst outfielder. Yes. And it's not even close. I got a text last night from Sports Pad. I just don't get the fall that, like, we can talk about the hitting where, hey, his launch angle might not be on. You know, there might be something physically wrong with his back or his knee. Some people say he was stealing signs or taking PEDs. Like, I get all the reasons where you could potentially say this is why Christian Yelich isn't playing like he did or like he was. Yeah. I don't get the fall from Grace defensively. He looks like... He was a gold glove winner when he was in his younger days in Miami. It's not like Christian Yelich is old. Christian Yelich just turned 30. <laughs> like he's he's in the prime of his baseball career. When he was a younger player in his, I believe it was early to mid-20s, is when he won the gold glove. But since then, not only has the defense fallen off, but his arm has gotten worse. Now, it's not a Chris Davis-type arm where he could barely hit the cutoff man, but it's getting close to that. It's 
It's, like, it's getting close to what you would say is a noodle arm. I don't get how. Oh, well, I got a text last night from our guy Sports Pat, and he said Yelich batting 196 and can't play left field either. Banana arm. No, yeah. It, it is true. Like, okay, so what he's is, still. What is going on with Yelich? It's not like he. It's not like he's covering the exact amount of ground as he was when he was younger, but it's not like he just completely fell off. But his arm has gotten. Like. It's every a, single it's, year, it's gotten worse and worse and worse. Yeah. Now, he's not quite. Like I said, he's not quite to the Chris Davis windup to get it to the cutoff, man. <laughs> but if he keeps trending this way, he might be in a couple years. Uh, like, I. It's out of excuses. Like, what's the what's the excuse anymore? I mean, first it was the knee injury, right? Then it was COVID, and then it maybe was a little bit of like maybe he's gun shy because of that knee injury. Then and then again, it was like, well, the COVID got everything out of whack. And then it was what's what's the excuse, Rowdy? What's well, you you would say that if uh, Christian Yelich wasn't playing very well in the field, then some of the guys that you have on that it would easily make sense to DH him, but that only makes sense if he's swinging the bat to DH him like in 18 and 19. Yeah. It, there's there's no way you DH a guy that's batting 195. What do you want What do you want him to do if he's a DH? Strike out or go hit a screamer right to like the shortstop? Like, <laughs> what's going on with Christian Yelich? That, that's well, there, the $26 make, million dollar again, question. You can make excuses saying, Hey, there's no excuses anymore. Hey, there was a COVID year. Hey, he broke his kneecap. Hey, he uh, potentially was stealing signs or taking PEDs. Hey, they had a shortened spring this year. But at what point are you finally going to look at yourself in the mirror and say, Christian Yelich just stinks? Because, listen, a lot of other people have had, you know, through adversity too, right? Okay, th- throw out the knee injury. That was a long time ago. I think you can keep the knee injury, but if you want to take, if you want to take the things that everybody has like had, like you to can't deal do with. the shortened spring training, you can't do the COVID year. Everyone yeah. did the same thing. Everyone had twenty twenty. Everybody had the shortened spring training here. Everybody that you can throw those completely out because everyone dealed with it. It's like when people complain about the weather for a team. It's like, well, both teams are playing in the same environment. The knee, the knee injury. You're right, Rowdy. The knee injury you can't quite throw out. Same with the back, because you're not him. You don't know if he still wakes yeah. up and he's sore. Well, at least if he waking up and he's sore, he's still playing. Unlike Ben Simmons, <laughs> <laughs> at least at least he's not Ben Simmons. At least he's not sitting there looking like Toucan Sam in some kind of crazy outfit making twenty six million dollars. At least he's on the field. And like, I guess we are never going to be able to see like the MRIs or the x-rays of his knee and or back. Yeah. But, and then the odds are if we ever would figure out of him stealing signs or PEDs, which I say is very unlikely, yeah. it's something that'll come out 10 years from now. Yeah. And the knee injury, maybe there's some like some gun shyness, you know, the knee injury that he suffered was like a freak accident that never happens in baseball. It's such a rare injury. I think, God, I remember. I think this is just the Brewers luck. It's just the Brewers luck to have a superstar fall into your lap. You sign him to a long-term extension and and then he's gone and you have to eat the money. Literally right after you got out from under Ryan Braun's contract. And it's, and you have to eat the money for a long time because the big contract just kicked in this year. Sometimes I feel like I need to hallucinate to watch the Milwaukee Brewers offense so I can like see some excitement and some runs. 
We have some alarming stats. Rowdy Sim has some alarming stats. The top three highest paid players on the Milwaukee Brewers don't bat over 200. Well, and that's the thing. And we, we previewed it going out of the last break. But the pitching staff and the starting rotation in that first seven to ten days of the season did not give you any good starts. The bullpen was walking a ton of hitters. Remember, there was the stat being thrown around for like their uh, walks per nine was like through the roof is like the worst for any team. Mm -hmm. Well, that's flipped on its head. They look like the 2021 type rotation after the first time through the the uh, pitching rotation. But the hitting that was actually semi-decent, like Christian Yelich had a few big games. Rowdy Telez was on fire. Andrew McCutcheon came out of the gates hot. was smoking. That has now flipped on its head the other way. And, and obviously, they're not hitting the baseball. But do you remember in 2021, just last year, when they had a top five pitching staff and then at the same time they actually finished in the top I believe it was 14 when it came to scoring runs per game yeah they are now currently 26 26 in the league when it comes to runs per game averaging just 3.29 runs per game again last season they were they're they're what out of 30 26 oh god but last season they were Right around a little bit, I think they finished was it 12th to 14th, and they averaged about four and a half runs a game, which normally four and a half runs per game is where you finish in about the middle of the pack. Well, we know that average is down, right? We talked about how the three highest paid hitters on the Milwaukee Brewers team and Christian Yelich, Lorenzo Cain, and, and Colton Wong are all hitting below 196. Not good. We know that... Averages across Major League Baseball are down. It was like the lowest average uh, in Major League Baseball history for the day. I believe it was going into yesterday. It was two thirty-two, yeah. which and that has continued to drop every single year. It seems like. Well, right now, currently, if you wanted to be a middle of the road team for scoring runs per game, you're a little over four. So it is a little bit lower than that four and a half. Again, it is early. We haven't had warm yeah, weather yet warm. in the majority of the United States. But the balls ain't popping. Let me list the teams that are below the Milwaukee oh, Brewers. I don't know if I need to hear this, but yes. So Brewers are 26th with 3.29 runs per game. 27th is Kansas City at 3.07 runs per game. Now Kansas City is completely in a rebuild. They're, they're playing, five and nine. They're playing a lot of prospects. They're not supposed to be a good team. They're dead last in the AL Central. It's a lot of young players. So they're better than that. Arizona, 28th. 2.88 runs per game. They're Arizona the NL West. is a terrible team. They're 6 and 11. They now they have a couple names that you would have heard of, but majority of them are quadruple A players or minor league guys. Mm-hmm. Not a good ball club. Twenty ninth, Baltimore Orioles, two point seven five runs per game. They're six and ten. They spent thirty million dollars. They didn't spend any money in the offseason, right? Isn't their payroll like thirty million dollars? It's around forty. But the, again, <laughs> we we already talked about yeah, the Baltimore 38 Orioles. Million. 
earlier this year because they had a, a series with the Brewers. They literally have like two or three names on that team, and the offense was horrible when yeah. they played Milwaukee. Well, they're six and ten. They're dead last in the AL East, and then dead last in Major League Baseball, coming in at thirtieth. The Cincinnati Reds, two point six nine runs per game, and we were already laughing at the Reds because. They were a team that started out two and two and then lost eleven straight games. They're three and thirteen, dead last NL Central, and dead last in offense. And they were a team that before the season started literally sold off and had a, a selling spree <sighs> and got rid of pretty much every single hitter on that team outside of Jonathan India, who was their young second baseman, and Joey Votto, who's been like the cornerstone with the Reds forever because he's on the towards the end of his deal. So what you're saying is this is they not got good. rid of everyone else. Not good. But the Brewers are supposed to be a team where and they had the most wins in the NL Central. They had ten wins. A lot of people thought Yelich could hopefully come back and be at least something better than how bad he was last year. You had Rowdy Telez getting a full season because he swung the bat quite well once he he got real run with the Brewers halfway through the year. Willie Adamas was going to be spending an entire season with the Brewers. Home run last night for Willie Adamas. Colton Wong played really well outside of being injured early in the season. Omar Nervaez was coming off of an all-star year. Uh, Lorenzo Cain was supposedly healthy. Hunter Renfro was coming in as the slugger. Man. I mean... Luis Arias was see we, if he wait, could, we need the we need the weather to get warm rowdy <laughs> see if he could build off his 20 plus home run season in his first real true f- uh full season in the big leagues like there was a lot of excitement they signed Andrew McCutcheon yep. the guy absolutely rakes against left-handed pitching he's going to be a good vet we just need the weather to get warm that'll that's, be that or a third hitting coach that's what everyone says but at the same time it's like well you had a team that was very average at hitting last year and they got extremely hot from June through about August and then tapered Warm off, weather. then tapered off in September when Warm they started weather. coasting, they didn't show up at all in the postseason in October because it got cold, but you basically oh. have the exact same team this year, but Luis Arias has not played yet. So there's a little hope for excitement. He's clearly better than Jace Peterson, and he's clearly better than Brousseau at third base. Hey, Mike Brousseau gets on base, dude. Both hitting-wise and in the field. But that's one thing. You had Avisel Garcia last year, who had his best career year for the Brewers and just in general his own mm-hmm. in his entire career. You replaced him with Hunter Renfro. If Hunter Renfro could reach the... The I think it was the three out of those last five seasons that he's had. Mm-hmm. He could potentially be as good or better than Avisel Garcia. He has not played well, though he seems to be hitting the ball much better in the last week. Yeah. But Colton Wong has been non-existent. He's even had lapses in the field early, and he's a he's a wizard. He's a Gold Glove winner. You're a wizard, Colton. So that's that's a little bit of a head scratcher as well. I I what it is. really do think this is Lorenzo Cain's last year in the big leagues. We just need the weather to get warm and a third hitting coach, and our problems will be solved. But right now, you wanted to tackle inside linebacker? Yeah, we'll look at inside linebacker here. Now, Green Bay, obviously with them signing uh, Campbell, Devondre Campbell back in that five-year deal, which is essentially three full seasons yeah. with void years potentially. Yeah, it's probably not a huge target for the Green Bay Packers, especially in that first round. 
Like they, they kind of patched up that inside linebacker position signing Devondre Campbell. Plus Nicobe Dean out of Georgia and Devin Lloyd, who are arguably the best two inside linebackers in this draft, probably going to go before the Packers even had an opportunity to make a pick at 22. Mm-hmm. So again, I was just kind of looking at, at guys where, Maybe if they feel the need is there enough to get a backup or potentially, uh, you know, whatever for Devondre Campbell, maybe they would start taking. So I, I'm really not looking at any of the super high linebackers because I just don't think the Green Bay Packers make any selection sure. that high with Devondre Campbell coming back. Well, probably the first two off of my board for inside linebacker one, it's Honestly, it's probably Leo Chanel. I mean, this is a guy that's currently being projected to be in a second or third round pick. We saw him at Wisconsin. Beast. The the guy could do it all. Beast. I mean, he could he's extremely good at playing against the run. He was extremely good rushing the passer, but I think one of the things that that he was very underrated or still being underrated about coming out of this draft is his ability to run sideline to sideline. Yeah. Now you look at him and you go, "Well, he doesn't really he doesn't really give off the linebacker that can run sideline to sideline vibes, right?" Yeah. He ran a pretty damn good time in the 40 for a guy <laughs> his size and at his position that I I think a lot of people were very surprised about. He's a stud, dude. That's one. Troy Anderson's another guy that I actually liked. He's also projected in that second to third round. Now, Anderson is a a guy out of Montana State, extremely raw, has not played the linebacker position for very long, but he's versatile. Kid that has a really good motor, a lot of room to grow his game, and he also is a guy that had some speed with him as well. Those are two guys that... uh, their combine results, yeah. Chanel and Anderson, a lot better than I think a lot of people thought they were going to test out at. Which uh, pleasantly again, surprised if you will. if the if the Packers were looking to use a top one hundred pick, those would probably be the top two guys that I could see uh, the the Packers using it on. Another guy in the third round currently, Channing Tyndall. I mean, Tyndall's a guy who, once again, I know we had. Uh, Owen Reese on earlier, he's talking about his draft and he kept talking about the studly Georgia defense. Yep. Tyndall's another linebacker at Georgia. I mean, this is a guy that's got a ton of talent, lots of traits, can run sideline to sideline, solid tackler. Head on a swivel. But high he motor. necessarily didn't have some of the same production as some of the other guys that are in this draft because he played on a super stack defense where he wasn't necessarily the best linebacker at Georgia because, Oh, I don't know. Georgia already has like one or two other linebackers that are in this draft and projected to go in the top four rounds. Like that's just how good Georgia was. And then once you get down another guy in the fourth round that I looked at that, I kind of liked some of his stuff was Terrell Bernard. And this is a guy who he's a really good, according to his, his draft profiles, really good leader. He's smart. He brings a lot of special team value. So I figured if if the Packers are going to draft something inside linebacker, they might be looking for a guy that can play special teams, especially when we've made a lot of talk about Devondre Campbell being signed. But we forget that some of the guys behind him, like the Chris Barnes, it's technically on a one-year deal as well. You also have Ty Summers, who's a really good special teamer. 
He's on the last year of his rookie deal. So you have a lot of these guys that are behind Devondre Campbell that are good special teamers, but they're towards the end. I think uh, Bernard could fit. He is a little smaller frame and he does have some injury issues. But again, you're taking a flyer in the fourth round. Mm -hmm. And then a couple guys that are currently projected in that fourth to fifth round range. uh, Malcolm Rodriguez out of Oklahoma State. Really good, really instinctive player. Has good technique. Tremendous upside, Rowdy. Untapped potential. But uh, not really. He's a guy that's got more average range and skills, but he's a really good leader, really okay. instinctive. But I'm not necessarily sure he really fits the Green Bay uh, scheme. So it, I like him personally. Might be more of a 4-3 linebacker there. But the other guy that uh, is in that 4-5 to five range that I, I really liked reading up, up on his bios, Mike Rose out of Iowa State. When I read yeah, a lot this, of Iowa State guys even like him. When I read this guy's profile, you know who the first person popped in my head was? Former Packer, inside linebacker, Blake Martinez. Oh. He's projected fourth to fifth round. Not too fast though, huh? Yep. Great play diagnosis, great tackler. He's got Can't, straight line speed. Yeah, he does not miss tackles. Whatever he gets to, he tackles. And and he's a strong guy. But here's his downfalls. Can't run sideline to sideline, mm. and he's got coverage liability. Mm. And if you remember, Martinez was a fourth-round pick. Yep. He was a guy that was supposed to be a hard hitter, big thumper. Couldn't necessarily run sideline to sideline. Just line. a blue-collar lunch pail yeah, kind of guy. coverage was limited. Yeah. But, I mean, that was a pretty solid player for the Green Bay Packers. Not a, guy, not a guy you wanted to offer a multi-year, you know, Huge contract too, but a solid linebacker. Real lunch pail guy. Yeah, Mike Rose. Pretty much when I read that, I'm like, that sounds like Blake Martinez. Yeah, plays of the whistle. I'll take him as like a guy being a backup, trying to grow behind uh, Devondre Campbell and Chris Barnes. And then the final, the final linebacker that I liked in this class that would round it out in like the currently projected fifth to sixth round, going through all this stuff. That's Aaron Hansford. Now this is a guy out of Texas A and M extremely talented when it comes to uh, traits. I mean, he's got all the traits that you're looking for, can run sideline to sideline, good tackler, but his biggest issue, staying healthy and diagnosing plays. Can bite for fakes and doing all that stuff. Hopefully some technique or some time more uh, seeing it play out behind the Devondre Campbells, the Chris Barnes of the world. Mm-hmm. Maybe he could develop that, but yeah, he's got all the athletic traits to be good. And again, when you're drafting, when you're drafting past the top 100 picks, a lot of times when you're in that fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh round, you're literally just drafting guys based on traits, what you think you can mold them into or what their ceiling is. Cause you already got those top 100 guys. You got the best guys in the draft are gone. So yeah, that, that kind of rounds out some of the guys that I looked you're trying to find the untapped potential in the late rounds, Rowdy. Yeah, those are some of the guys that I looked at at inside linebacker and said, you know what, I, I think I would like some of these guys if the Packers decided to use a pick on an inside linebacker. There we go. And tomorrow we're going to do secondary? Yep, secondary. So we'll cover safety position and then corner. And then Thursday? Wide receiver. Oh, wide receiver, baby. The big elephant in the room. Will the Packers go wide receiver? With that first pick they have. Muy interesante.